Father, we sing these words to you because you are worthy of our praise. You and you alone are awesome and mighty, perfectly holy. You and you alone deserve our worship. You and you alone deserve our affections and our praise. And Father, we give you this praise because you are the one who's worthy of it. Lord, you are not one God among many. You are the only God and there is no other. And so we bring our praise to you today. Fathers, we open this word this morning as you speak to us through your word, as we consider what it means for you to be the treasure of infinite value in our lives. Father, show us your son, Jesus. Help us to see him as beautiful and as glorious and as worthy of our hearts, worthy of our affections, worthy of everything that we are. Will you free our hearts from the clutches of material things, from the things that, that suffocate our love for you, set our affections on you today through your word. So Father, will you speak to us now words that will edify your church and glorify your name. Lord, sanctify us in truth. Sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Will you speak to us through it now? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Matthew chapter six is where we'll be again during our time together today, looking at verses 19 through 24. Um, we're gonna be a little bit brief this morning. As we uh, introduced to you last week, we've got a big initiative that we've uh, starting to roll out to you as a congregation. Again, we briefly introduced this last Sunday. I'm gonna expand on that at the end of our time of worship together this morning. Uh, but still, we're gonna spend our time together, Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 24. And we'll just get right to it here um, today. A couple years ago, our family had a yard sale, um, and uh, one of the items that we were selling at this yard sale was a TV that Emily and I had bought when we first got married. Um, Emily and I are both kind of minimalist by nature, so clutter doesn't last very long in our home before we're eager to, to get rid of it and move on to things. And um, we'd had this TV for about 10 years, and um, when we first got married, the TV that we had, we, we had absolutely no money. We had zero money. I would say that we were broke, but we couldn't have afforded the E. Um, zero money, and so the TV we had when we first got married was like this tube screen from the 1900s. 1800s um, that had been at her parents' house and was given to her, and she used it in her college dorm room, like this 25-inch TV. And so we, what we did when we first got married, we saved our money, we worked so that we could get something that looked like it belonged in this century. And so after we'd been married several months, we finally got this TV, and we were so excited to get it. It was this 32-inch LCD TV, um, just major upgrade, felt like our, our eyes had just been opened to a whole new world that we'd never been able to experience before. And then it served us really well in our first few homes. We went from apartment to apartment to apartment and mostly small places that we lived. But then when we moved to Beaufort, moved into our first house, uh, suddenly we had a much bigger living room than we'd ever had before. And this TV that we had that we thought was so great suddenly just seemed so tiny all the way across the room. So what we did is we went, we bought a bigger TV. And the one that we had originally bought just kind of stayed with us and it just sort of moved from room to room but wasn't really getting used. So when we had this yard sale, we say, look, we're not using this TV, we, we just need to get rid of it. And I remember while I was sitting out on our driveway that Saturday morning when we had our yard sale, I just asked Emily, I said, do you remember how excited we were to get that thing? Like 10 years before, we were so excited to get this. Something that we had so set our hearts on and were so excited to be able uh, to get together what was now just suddenly something that was sitting out our driveway. Something that we had set our hearts and our affections on had now become a burden that we couldn't wait to get rid of. 
And, and, and so as we look at Matthew chapter 6 this morning, what we see in the first 18 verses of chapter 6 is Jesus' warning about practicing righteous deeds before others. That's what we've seen the last few weeks. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, we don't do these things to the glory of man. We do these things to the glory of God. So I've titled this message this morning, Living in Light of Eternity. Because what Jesus does in verse 19 is he warns us against laying up treasures here on earth. You and I have been made for eternity, but if we're not careful, we will so quickly find our hearts and our affections focused on things that are only temporary. That this is one of the greatest tragedies of human history is that you and I are prone to spend our lives setting our hearts on things that will not last things that we will not be able to take beyond this world. And one of the greatest tragedies of humanity is that we are prone to fix our hearts on the stuff that will one day be a bargain in a yard sale. We will forfeit the blessings of eternity for something that's gonna land up in our driveway and become a burden that we don't want to get rid of. So in the first 18 verses of chapter six, Jesus warned against seeking glory from man. In verses 19 through 24, he warns us of seeking glory from money. So Matthew chapter six, let's read again, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do we live in light of eternity? What does Jesus call us to do? Well, first we see that he shows us to live for heaven and not for earth. We live for heaven and not for earth. Friends, you and I were born empty-handed and we're going to die empty-handed. We brought nothing into this world. We will take absolutely nothing out of this world. So Jesus says it's futile for us to store up treasures here on earth. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, I think we should clarify, what, what does Jesus mean by this? Is Jesus saying that it's wrong to have possessions? Is it Jesus saying that it's wrong for you to have a savings account? Is it Jesus saying that it's wrong for you to plan for retirement? I don't really think that's the case. Scripture nowhere forbids that we, don't, that we have possessions, and in fact, it praises the wise stewardship of money. Multiple times throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs, words of blessing are spoken over those who are generous to the poor. And you can't be generous to the poor unless you have the, the, the possessions or the wealth in the first place to be able to be generous with. Proverbs 6 praises the ant, the work ethic of the ant, how hard it works in the spring and the summer to store up and make sure that it has sufficient food for the winter. Proverbs 13, 22 says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children. Proverbs 21, 20 shows us that saving for the future is wise. So it's not that Jesus is forbidding that we have money or that we have possessions because if he did, then he would be contradicting multiple other points of scripture. What Jesus is speaking against here is the mentality of someone who is a hoarder, someone who's hoarding things for themselves. It's not the person who's working to wisely save and prepare for the future or the person who is desiring to steward their possessions and their resources in such a way that they can be generous to others. What Jesus is speaking to is the person who's greedy, who thinks only of themselves and has put the hope of their soul in their possessions. Jesus illustrates this with a parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. It says, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. 
And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Storing up treasures on earth is an exercise in futility. Jesus says, listen, moth and rust come in and they destroy fabric and metal. Those are agents and contaminants that do that work. And even if the natural contaminants don't destroy our possessions, there's always the threat that somebody might break into our home and take what belongs to us. And for my wedding day, uh, my grandfather gave me this pocket watch that had been in our family uh, for decades before them. We don't know even exactly how old it is. It was passed on a couple generations uh, before him to him. And he gave this to me on our, on our wedding day. And it's not something I carry with me on a, on a regular basis because it's an antique and it's very fragile. And so a couple times a year, maybe I'll take it out. I'll show it to my boys and they like to see it. But, but every once in a while, even though it stays in a box, it's secured, it's closed, it's not getting used on a daily basis. I still have to take it out a couple of times a year and polish it up because the dust starts to build up and, and rust even starts to build up and, and corrode, even though it's sitting there doing nothing. And it's just that reminder that no matter how old something is, no matter how long something has been there, no matter how much we convince ourselves that there's something that's always going to be around, friends, everything that you and I own is one day going to turn to dust. There's absolutely nothing that's permanent. Our money will not last forever. Our homes will not last forever. Our cars will not last forever. Our clothes will not last forever. Even diamonds will not last forever. The day is coming when all of these things will be turned to dust. And this is important because Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Wherever your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The location of your treasure is revealing the, the direction of your heart. It's showing you where your heart is going. Whatever you have focused your hopes on, whatever you've hung the hopes of your soul on, whatever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going. Whatever it is you treasure today, our hearts will follow. Our stuff won't last forever, but Jesus says our souls will. And the question is not, will your soul last forever? The question is, where will your soul last forever? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it'd be hard to find someone who understand, understood these things more than the Christian missionary, Jim Elliott, who lost his life advancing the gospel. And many thought that Jim Elliott and his partners were foolish because they were going into hostile territory. Um, they thought they were foolish because they knew that this could ultimately cost them their lives, that they could lose their lives for the sake of sharing the gospel. But Jim Elliott didn't see this as foolish at all. This is the most famous journal entry from October 28th, 1985. Jim Elliott recorded these words. I've shared these with you before. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Church, this is how it works in God's economy. It's a reverse economy. In God's economy, you will lose everything that you try to keep and you will keep everything that you're willing to give. And so for someone like Jim Elliott, he came to this ultimate understanding it's not foolish for me to give what I can't keep to gain what I can't lose. What is foolish is for me to try to keep what I can only inevitably lose. That's foolishness. And Jesus shows us this here. He says, listen, don't live for this world. Don't, don't store up things in earth that you cannot take with you. Live in light of eternity. Live for what's to come. It's not foolish to give what you can't keep to gain what you cannot lose. Jesus goes on, verses 22 and 23, to say that the eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So how do we live in light of eternity? First, we live for heaven and not for earth. And second, Jesus shows us that we live in the light and not in the dark. In the first century, Jewish and Greco-Roman cultures, uh, someone who had a good eye symbolized somebody who was very generous. A good eye symbolized someone who was generous and an eye that was bad. Having a bad eye signified someone who was jealous or stingy. The phrase eye is bad here can also translate eye is evil. And so the context here in Matthew 6 is treasure. So the connection is really an easy one for us to make. If your eye is set on the right treasure, then your heart will be full of good. But if your eye is set on the wrong treasure, then your heart will be full of evil. Now, our prayer as followers of Jesus should be the prayer of the psalmist from Psalm 119, 36 through 37. He prays, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. It's a simple illustration for us. The eye is the lamp of the body. And for those who heard Jesus saying these words that day, they would have been thinking about an oil lamp. And so if your eye is set on the right things, then the oil continues to burn and the lamp continues to burn. If your eyes set on the right things, then your heart and your soul and your mind will be full of good. But if your eye is set on the wrong things, then your heart and your soul and your mind are going to be full of evil. So again, if we set our eyes on the light, then our hearts will be full of light. But if we set our eyes on the darkness, then our hearts will be full of darkness. And what it does is it burns out and eventually it quenches the flame of love in our heart and soul and mind as we're overcome by the darkness that surrounds And according to the psalmist, what do we turn our eyes to in order to stay focused on the right treasure? We turn them to the word of God. Listen to the words of the psalmist. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. What is the opposite of setting your eyes on selfish gain? The opposite is inclining your heart to the testimonies of God's word. He says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. What is the opposite of looking at worthless things? Give me life in your ways. You know, I think we, we've come to a place in our context, particularly here in still the mostly Bible Belt South, that it is almost completely meaningless and fruitless to ask somebody if they're a Christian. Just to ask somebody the question, are you a Christian? It's really, I don't think, a very ter- terribly helpful question. Some people believe that they're Christians just because they grew up in church. Some people believe they're Christians because granddaddy was a pastor. Some believe that they're Christians because their names are on a membership roster somewhere or because their family's name is on a building or is on a church pew. Some people believe that they're Christians just because they're Americans. You know, I think we've seen, especially over the last six years, that the term evangelical has become far more of a political label, label than a spiritual one. It has almost no meaning anymore. It's completely fruitless to ask this question. Many are Christians in name only because when you really press in, what you find is there is no real love for God. There's no love for his word. There's no desire to be among his people. There's, there's no desire, there's no conviction over sin. There's no desire to walk in holiness and righteousness. But bless God, they will, they will claim to be Christians because that's just how they were raised. I don't think somebody asking the question, are you a Christian, is a very helpful question. In light of Matthew 6, I think there's a much better question we should ask. Instead of asking people, are you a Christian? What if instead we asked each other, is Jesus Christ your greatest treasure? Is he your treasure? Because that's a very different question. Do you treasure Jesus Christ above everything else? 
Do you treasure him above your home? Do you treasure him above your bank account? Do you treasure him above your cars and above your clothes? Do you treasure him above your retirement plan? Do you treasure him above your investments, which may be a little bit easier to do in 2022 than it has been in other years, right? Do you treasure Christ? Not are you a Christian, do you treasure Jesus Christ? Have you hung the hopes of your soul on Christ in Christ alone? Are you still trusting in your stuff? Do you treasure Jesus Christ? Are your eyes fixed on Christ and his word? Do you treasure him above everything that you have? Listen, it's all or nothing, church. The glory of God will not tolerate or accommodate a divided heart and allegiance. Jesus says as much in verse 24. He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Everybody say no one. No one can serve two masters. He says for either he'll hate the one and he'll love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. Everybody say cannot. You cannot serve God in money. So how do we live in light of eternity? We live for heaven, not for earth. We live in the light, not in the dark. Third, Jesus shows us we live for God and not for money. Again, for the audience listening to Jesus that day, they understood servitude and slavery. That that was the context into which Jesus was speaking. Slaves and servants could only have one master. So Jesus is not speaking in vague and ambiguous terms here. Again, he doesn't say that, that some people can serve two masters. He says no one can serve two masters. He doesn't say it's hard to serve God in money. He says you cannot serve God in money. According to Jesus, trying to serve God in money, it's not just difficult, it's impossible. It's something that cannot be done. We cannot have a divided allegiance. There cannot be something else besides him that is uppermost in our affections in which we have placed our trust. You can serve God or you can serve money, but Jesus says you cannot do both. Because what's gonna happen is either we'll be devoted to God to such an extent that we will despise the dangers of money or we will be so devoted to our money and our stuff that we end up despising God. We cannot serve God and money at the same time. You know, in some of your Bibles, the word money might also be translated mammon. And I think this is significant because mammon's not just another word for money. Mammon indicates something that you have put your hope and your trust in. It indicates something that you have placed all of your confidence in. And again, Jesus illustrates this with a story from the Gospels. In in Matthew chapter 19, we, we find a very famous story, the story of the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus asking the million dollar question. He comes to him asking the question that everybody who hears of Jesus wants to ask and wants to have answered. And here's how the dialogue goes. It says in verse 16, Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? That's the million dollar question, right? How do I go to heaven when I die? How can I be sure that my eternal future is secure, that I will be in your presence? This is the million dollar question. Here's how Jesus responds, verse 17. He said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, just list the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Listen to verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go. And what's he called him to do? Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And how does he respond? It says, when the young man heard this, he went away. What's that say? Sorrowful. For he had 
great possessions. I came to Jesus asking the million-dollar question, what must I do to receive eternal life? What must I do to be saved? And again, listen to his resume. Listen to the resume. Never killed anyone, never committed adultery, never stole, never lied. I honored my father and my mother. I've loved my neighbor. But Jesus looks at him in love, Mark's gospel says, and says, you lack one thing. You, you lack one thing. According to him, he had done all of these things, but here was his problem. And I fear that it's the problem that maybe many of us experience today. The rich young ruler was ready to call Jesus his savior, but he was not ready to call him his Lord. Everybody wants to be saved. Everybody wants salvation. Everybody wants to go to heaven when they die. It's one thing to want Jesus as your savior. It's a very different thing to desire him as your Lord. The rich young ruler wanted the benefits of eternal life, but he wasn't willing to pay the cost because money was his master. He wasn't willing to change masters. He's trying to serve one and the other at the same time. And Jesus says, no, you you can't serve both. Church, you have to understand this morning, the problem is not having money. The problem is when money has us. It's when it has our hearts. It's when it has our minds. It's when it has our affections. And this is what I fear happens with many of us, is, is we are willing to follow Jesus up to a point. We're willing to follow him up to a point. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. But then he speaks to that one thing that we're still holding on to our heart, that true idol that's in our hearts. And like the rich young ruler, we walk away sorry. We feel conviction, we feel remorse, we feel sorrow over this. But church, sorry does not save. It's not enough for us to feel sorry. We actually have to leave our idols at the feet of Jesus. His glory will not tolerate our divided allegiances. John Stott has given such a great reflection on this passage He says, anyone who divides his or her allegiance between God and money has already given it to money, since God can be served only with an entire and exclusive devotion. This is simply because he is God. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. To try to share him with other loyalties is to have opted for idolatry. The young man walked away sorry, but sorry doesn't save The feeling of conviction is not same as the action of repentance. And ultimately, he held on to the one thing that was holding back from eternal life. Friends, the question again this morning is not, are you a Christian? The question I have for you today is, is Christ your treasure? Is he your treasure? Everybody wants him to be savior. Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Is he what your eyes are set on? Is he what your affections are filled with? Because until you have surrendered him to him as Lord, you cannot claim him as your savior. It's an all or nothing, undivided devotion. Until we've surrendered to him as Lord, we can't experience the blessing of knowing him as savior. So I just ask you this morning in reflection, are you living for heaven or are you living for earth? Are you living in the light? Are you living in the dark? Are you living for God? Are you living for money? I did not ask you this morning, are you a Christian? I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking, do you read your Bible? I'm not asking, do you give generously? I'm not asking, are you a good neighbor? I'm not asking, are you somebody who helps other people? What I'm asking you is, is Jesus Christ your greatest treasure? Would you gladly lay everything else down? Are you like the parable Jesus told, the person who has found treasure buried in a field, who then went back home and in joy sold everything else you had because you had found something far greater? Is Jesus Christ your treasure? We cannot claim him as our savior until we've called on him as Lord, until he is our master 
until he is the object of our eyes and our affection, until he has our undivided devotion. We cannot claim that he is the one that we treasure. We bow your heads with me as we close together this morning. It really is a simple question. Is Christ your treasure? Do you treasure him above everything else? What in your life right now, if Jesus asked you to lay it down, what would you struggle to lay down? What would you struggle to leave behind? What would you struggle to surrender to him? And that's the one thing today he's calling us to surrender. Have you submitted to him, not just as savior, but as Lord? Is he the master of your life? Is he the treasure of your heart? Is he what's at the top of your affections? Is Jesus your treasure? So listen, if you're here today as a follower of Jesus Christ, I just challenge you to invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart, search your mind, to search your desires, to reveal to you the things that, that maybe you have placed before him, idols that you have allowed to get in the way, Where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your confidence? Are you putting it in Christ? Are you putting it in your stuff? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure today? Because that's where your heart's going. And listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't claim to be a Christian, you're like, Jesus definitely isn't what I treasure. What you find in Christ is something that's so much greater than anything this world can give you because you receive something that's imperishable, something that cannot be lost. It is not foolish to give what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. What are you holding on to today? What are you trying to keep from him? And this is the promise and paradox of the gospel. You try to keep your life, you will lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life and give up your life, you'll keep it. Is Jesus Christ your treasure? Will you lay down the treasures of this world? Will you lay down the things that you have placed your hope and your confidence in? Will you not just come to him out of a desire for him to be your savior? Will you come to him and submit to him as your Lord, as a good master who loves you and gives you an imperishable treasure that this world could never take away? today to call on him in faith, to believe and trust that Jesus has done everything for you that's necessary for you to be saved. He's died for your sins on the cross. But it's not enough to be sorry. We have to turn. We've got to lay our sins down at his feet and trust that when we do, he's going to give us something so much greater in return. He gives us himself. He gives us eternal life. He gives us a new heart and a new mind so we can walk in holiness and righteousness according to his word. Call on him today as your savior, but to do that, you have to surrender to him as your Lord, as your master. So Father, we we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And we ask that he would be the treasure of greatest value in our lives, that we would not place our hopes in anything else. Not in money, not in possessions, not in homes, not in cars, not in clothes, nothing. Help us to remember that these things, like our bodies, will one day turn to dust. There's nothing that we can keep. So help us to give what we cannot keep so that we may gain what we cannot lose. 
So Father, as we come to the table now, as we continue to confess and to repent, as we continue to worship you and to praise you and to thank you for who you are and what you've done for us, Father, free our hearts of things. Free our hearts of stuff. And fill them with affection for our Savior. So be glorified now in the worship and the response and the praises of your people. Lord, move our hearts today. Fill us with your joy. May Jesus be our greatest treasure. We ask all these things in his name and everybody said.